Welcome back to this week's episode of The Emily Show. This one's been pre-recorded a little earlier than I normally do, so there may be some developments. If there are, those will be updated in the show notes. But today we've got a couple really interesting topics because all of the legal pop culture is popping off. It's just popping off. Did you see that Prince Harry and Elton John are suing the Daily Mail? Yeah. Bethany Frankel's suing TikTok, and the Supreme Court is going to be talking about Section or taking up Section 230, which has massive implications, not just for, I think, Bethany Frankel's TikTok lawsuit, but the platforms as we know them. So I think it all kind of ties in. We're going to be talking a little bit about all of that today. Not a super deep dive. We don't have the legal documents yet, yet for the Prince Harry Elton John suit, but I am working on getting my hands on those. So we're going to go from news reporting with that. I have my hands on the Bethany Frankel 32-page lawsuit against TikTok. Some very interesting information about how TikTok operates in that lawsuit. I was like, oh, oh, look, oh, T, okay. Thank you, Bethany's attorneys, for just letting us know how that platform works intimately. But this all also ties in to Section 230, which I'll be explaining kind of towards the end of the podcast as it wraps in to platforms, what you can say on platforms, and the fact that the Supreme Court is actually going to be evaluating this law from 1996 to see how protected platforms will be or to see if platforms can be sued. And we have seen time and time again lawsuits against platforms getting thrown out because this law is an absolute protection. So we have a lot to cover. If you're like, Emily, you're already talking fast. Yup. Yup. Those of you that normally listen at like 2x on the podcast, good luck today because we're moving. We are moving and grooving. All right. It's October. It's time to roll. We have a lot to talk about. And I, I'm just, I'm kind of living for this Bethany Frankel lawsuit the most. But the allegations in the Prince Harry Daily Mail lawsuit are wild. We should just, we should just go. We need to roll it. Hey there. Welcome to The Emily Show. I'm your host, Emily D. Baker, badass lawyer and everyone's favorite legal commentator, breaking down the legal shit in the news and pop culture stories you want to talk about. I've been a licensed attorney for over 15 years. I'm a former prosecutor, and I'm a big fan of the cursey words. So let's break it down. Thank you to today's sponsor, Green Chef. Y'all have heard me talking about Green Chef a lot, and it's because it's one of those things that makes my life easier. I like having homemade meals. I don't like the stress of figuring out what's for dinner. Green Chef makes it so easy. The meal kit comes directly to your door with the ingredients that you need, with organic proteins and recipes from all different eating styles, from paleo or vegan, vegetarian, gluten-free, or just more balanced meals. And they are a CCOF certified meal kit company. Green Chef has expanded their menu to up to 30 recipes for you to pick from for a week. And if you want to skip a week, you can, which is really convenient when traveling or when life gets busy. We love the delicious easy meals that are ready in like 30 minutes and recipe cards that make it so easy. My teen can follow along and help, well, sometimes just completely cook dinner for the family. Eat well without sacrificing great taste. You can support the show and find out why Green Chef is the number one meal kit for eating well for yourself at greenchef.com with code EmilyBaker135. Go to greenchef.com slash EmilyBaker135 
Use code EMILYBAKER135 and get $135 off across five boxes and your first box ships free. Let me know what you pick and I'll let you know some of my favorites on social. Let's get back to today's episode. So our first topic today is this wild lawsuit with Prince Harry, Elton John, and others suing the Daily Mail, alleging phone tapping, burglaries, breaking into cars. It's wild. And we're going to talk about that a little bit. Now, this is not the first time that this has happened in the UK. For all of you that follow me on Twitter, a huge thank you, because when I posted this story, I was like, y'all, this is wild. A lot of you were like, oh, girl, there's so much precedent here because this has gone down with other newspapers in the past. And there was a massive investigation into it. It ended up closing down um, a newspaper. I'm going to link kind of the whole Wikipedia page regarding that down below because there is a lot of history here um, that I don't know if I can well cover. That doesn't mean I'm not going to grab somebody from the UK to cover this going forward um, to kind of get into all the backstory of the News International phone hacking scandal because this is not the first, which I was unaware of. I was like, oh, sweet summer child. (laughs) (laughs) But for the years that I was working at the DA's office, my awareness particularly of international um, affairs and and everything else was was minimal. I worked family and then watched like the Jersey Shore. I did not have much time and I did not have much bandwidth to pay attention to much else. So I I constantly learned because law nerds, y'all are so smart. Y'all are so smart. And you're like, oh, there's more, which is why I talk to you so much about these things. It's why I love live streaming, because in real time, I get to see what you have to say. It's why I love recording some of these episodes. And if you're not a member, you might not know. But a lot of these episodes for the podcast, I record live to the members in a behind the scenes so they get to see how the podcast works. And occasionally, I'm like, oh, you're right. I forgot to mention that because the chat will remind me. Because law nerds, are the smartest community on the internet. And I adore that. So those links are down below if you're curious about that. But let's get into this wild story with these allegations. Um, The reporting I'm bringing up is coming from the Daily Beast because, well, it was the most thorough of all of the news stories that I read regarding this. Prince Harry and Elton John sue the Daily Mail alleging phone tapping and burglaries The pair, along with other famous Brits, alleged the mail broke into their cars and homes to place recorders and illegally obtain medical and financial records. What? So when this broke on October 6th, I was like, I I can't. Like, I finished streaming for the day, and I was like, why is everything happening right now? So we're going to look at this, and then we're going to go look at the uh, press release from one of the law firms as well. This article says, the publisher of the Daily Mail is being sued uh, by a (laughs) coat... coterie of notable UK figures led by Prince Harry and Elton John with scandalous accusations of phone tapping car burglaries and bugging their homes. The thing that I think is potentially not great for all the celebrities is does this lend credibility to the things the Daily Mail has published? Because if this lends credibility to what the Daily Mail has published because they have, um, I don't know, inside information from fucking bugging people's homes, maybe that's not great either. I don't know. You let me know what you think. I I, I think this must have been a consideration when 
um, this group decided to sue. It must have been. So the full list of plaintiffs includes the prince along with uh, Elton John and his husband, David Furnish, actress Elizabeth Hurley, fashion designer Sadie Frost, and the Baroness Doreen Lawrence, according to a press statement. The individuals have become aware of compelling and highly distressing evidence that they have been the victims of abhorrent criminal activity and gross breaches of privacy by associated newspapers, Hamlin's LLP, the law firm representing some of the group members, said in their press release. But the Daily Mail had something to say as well. Quote, we utterly and unambiguously refute these preposterous smears, which appear to be nothing more than a pre-planned and orchestrated attempt to drag the mail titles into the phone hacking scandal concerning articles up to 30 years old. Um, aforementioned phone hacking scandal was like 2011, 2012. The uh, That was a statement from the Mail's publisher, Associated Newspapers, in a statement to the Daily Beast, quote, these unsubstantiated and highly defamatory claims based on no credible evidence appear to be simply a fishing expedition by claimants and their lawyers, some of whom have already pursued cases elsewhere. <clears throat> Prince, Prince Harry. Prince Harry has already pursued cases elsewhere. It goes on to say some of the allegations, including hiring private investigators to place recorders in homes and cars, paying off police officials for information, illegally impersonating people to get medical records, and improperly accessing financial records. Prince Harry is notably the only British royal involved in the suit, and sources suggest the legal battle may nevertheless have serious repercussions for his family's connection to the press. Quote, Harry and Meghan have frequently made it clear that they despised and indeed almost considered corrupt the sometimes cozy relationship between the palace and the British tabloid media. The palace were never willing to accede to Harry's demands to blow that relationship up, so this feels like Harry doing it on his own, a former male staffer told the Daily Beast. Quote, don't forget that Charles, King Charles, recently hired a former senior editor of the Daily Mail as his communications chief. This is a shot right at the heart of the relationship between the palace and the media. I didn't know that and was shooketh when I was going through this article being like, wait, 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 wait. The King's communications chief is a former editor from the Daily Mail? Isn't that interesting? Very very interesting. So it also wonder makes me wonder how much of what the mail publishes about the palace is coming from inside. The call is coming from inside the house. The last uh, paragraph of this article says the inclusion of Baroness Doreen Lawrence is notable due to the mail's 1997 front page that labeled five men suspected of killing her son as quote-unquote murderers, daring them to sue the paper if its allegations were wrong. Lawrence commended the paper at the time, and its public call-out is credited with helping land the suspects in prison. The mail's editor at the time, Paul Darcy, is now editor-in-chief of Associated Newspapers. So there is a lot of interconnectedness here that this article points to that will be very interesting as this goes forward. But again, accessing legal documents in the UK is not quite as easy as it is in the US. So I don't have that lawsuit. But what we do have is the direct press release from the law firm with quite a lot more information. And I'm going to go ahead and include uh, the links to all of these articles that I talk about today down in the show notes if you want them and want to look at them for yourself. So this is coming directly from the law firm's website. 
It's their press release from October 6th saying, press release, various claimants versus Associated Newspapers Limited. They're not leading with a strong headline look. U.S. lawyers have got this down a little bit. I wonder if the U.K. barristers find us to be a bit less dignified. I mean, that's a very real possibility. But this is a very sedate headline considering who the parties are that are the various claimants. Press release, various claimants. No, Prince Harry, the Duke of Sussex, Sir Elton John, Elizabeth Hurley. Like, this is not some claimants. But anyway, again, I wonder if they think that we are all preposterous. It's very likely. Today, a group of people, still sedate, by the way, in the first sentence. We're still burying the lead here. Today, a group of people have launched a legal action against Associated Newspapers, publishers of the Daily Mail, the Mail on Sunday, and the Mail Online. The group behind this legal offensive are Baroness Doreen Lawrence of Claridon OBE, Prince Harry, the Duke of Sussex, Sir Elton John, and David Furnish, Elizabeth Hurley, and Sadie Frost. These individuals have become aware of compelling and highly distressing evidence that they have been the victims of abhorrent criminal activity and gross breaches of privacy by associated newspapers. Unlawful acts alleged to have taken place include, and there's a bullet-pointed list, the hiring of private investigators to secretly place listening devices inside people's cars and homes, the commissioning of individuals to surreptitiously listen into and record people's live private telephone calls whilst they were taking place, wiretapping, that's wiretapping, that's illegal, the payment of police officers with corrupt links to private investigators for inside sensitive information, the impersonation of individuals to obtain medical information from private hospitals, clinics, and treatment centers by deception, also illegal, the accessing of bank accounts, credit histories, and financial transactions through illicit means and manipulation. So they are very much using the language of these things are not just a civil case, but they are also alleging that these are crimes. Whether we will see anyone down the road charged with these crimes, I don't know. But what I do know from researching into the prior phone scandal that we talked about is that there were people who ended up being charged in relation to that scandal. So they are very much alleging that these are criminal behaviors, but they are pursuing this at this point civilly. It goes on to say, it is apparent to these individuals that the alleged crimes listed above represent the tip of the iceberg and that many other innocent people remain unknowing victims of similar terrible and reprehensible covert acts. See, this got so strong. This press release got so strong, but it starts out with such a like wah-wah of a headline, like various claimants versus associated newspapers. And then we get down to abhorrent crimes. Like what? Start out stronger. It then goes to say, they have now, therefore, banded together to uncover the truth and to hold the journalists responsible, fully accountable, many of whom still hold senior positions of authority and power today. That indicates to me that they have an idea as to who is ordering or responsible in the kind of business order of things for what they're alleging. So to hold the journalists fully accountable many of whom still hold senior positions of authority. I think they know who some of these people are based on this press release. 
because on to say these individuals have been the subject of public interest during the course of their careers and personal lives. They are united in their desire to live in a world where the press operates freely yet responsibly. Don't we all? Don't we all want to live in a world where we can trust that the press is doing things legally, lawfully, with ethics and integrity, and that the things they are telling us are researched and factual? Don't we want to live in that world? And if the things are opinion, that they just say, this is an opinion piece. This is an editorial. This is what happened. This is what I think about it. Isn't that the world we all want to live in? I do. A press that represents truth is sourced in fact and can be trusted to operate ethically and in the interest of the British public, it goes on to say. It says, Prince Harry, the Duke of Sussex, and Sadie Frost are represented by Hamlin's LLP, Baroness Doreen Lawrence of Calderon, OBE, Elizabeth Hurley, Sir Elton John, and David Furnish are represented by Gunnar Cook, uh, C-O-O-K-E. And then David Sherborne of Fifth RB is counsel for all of the claimants instructed by Callum Galabrith of Hamlin's LLP and Anjali Sanji of Gunnar Cook. What's interesting to me is the law firm's name, Gunnar Cook, is all in lower caps. I don't know. It's it's a whole it's a whole different legal system that I am becoming more familiar with, but is not my legal system. I will be fascinated to see where this goes. I hope that the coverage of this stays at the forefront because the things alleged here are awful and shouldn't be happening. And I want to know what has happened. I want to know, just like I want to know more about Britney's wiretapping with black box security. I want to know all the things. I'm I'm deeply curious. But also, I want to know how much the Daily Mail has written is based on wiretapped information. Because if they're basing it on wiretapped information, I mean, what's a better source than the person saying the things? You shouldn't be surreptitiously getting that information. But it makes me wonder about some of the things that have been published in the Daily Mail as well. And with that, we need to talk about Bethany Frankel. Let me know what you think of all of this. I want to get my hands on these legal documents. I want to take a look at exactly what causes of action they're going after because they're going after things that are also criminal civilly. So I imagine uh, invasion of privacy and things like that. So I'm very interested to see how this is going to go forward and how this might impact Prince Harry's other ongoing lawsuits, which I have not yet covered. But I feel like now we're in we're we're in a world where now we need to do a whole episode about all of the Prince Harry lawsuits. If that's something that you want me to cover, let me know. I think it's interesting. But again, we are dealing with a completely separate legal system. So I am based a lot on reporting because it is not as easy to get the court documents. But we could at least do an overview of it. Let me know what you think. With that, we have to thank our sponsor and move on to talking about Bethany Frankel suing the Tiki Tiki Talk Talks. This episode, we've talked about a lot of things that are unexpected, but the one thing that shouldn't be unexpected is needing life insurance because you do. Policy Genius was built to modernize the life insurance industry. Their technology makes it easy to compare life insurance quotes from top companies like AIG and Prudential in just a few clicks to find your lowest price. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $17 per month for up to $500,000 of coverage. Policy Genius has licensed agents 
that work for you, not the insurance companies, and they can help you find options and offer coverage in as little as a week and avoid unnecessary medical exams. There are no added fees and your personal info is private. No wonder they have thousands of five-star reviews on Google and Trustpilot. Your loved ones deserve a financial safety net and you deserve a smarter way to find and buy it. Head to policygenius.com slash lawnerd or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quote and see how much you can save. That's policygenius.com slash lawnerd. Support yourself, support your loved ones, and support The Emily Show. Let's get back to today's episode. It has been a while since I've talked about TikTok getting sued. I've talked about TikTok getting sued quite a while ago. It was getting sued over some of the um, Child Online Privacy Protection Act, COPA, at the COPA, COPA, COPA. Those of you that have been listeners for a while know how hard it was for me to talk about the COPA lawsuits without singing. I can't do it. I can't. So talking about the Children's Online Privacy Protection Act, talking about um, the other things going on with TikTok. There are new TikTok lawsuits going on regarding copyright, and that's where this falls into for Bethany Frankel. But one of the things that might be an issue for her lawsuit might is Section 230, which we are going to talk about next, which is part of an online act that protects online platforms. But... I think that's why they chose the route of copyright. I have looked at the other copyright lawsuit that's going on right now with TikTok. I mean, there might be others, but I've looked at one coming from California over someone who created a filter that they alleged that TikTok took and that that filter was copyrighted work. TikTok has not yet asserted Section 230 as a defense in that copyright case. And I wonder if that's why Frankel's lawyers are choosing to go after this as copyright, not just as content moderation, which would be harder to pursue because of the defense of Section 230, because we've seen cases get immediately thrown out of court. Those are the cases that are actually going up to the Supreme Court, get immediately thrown out of court saying, no, this case is barred by this statute. So in the context of copyright, We've got this other lawsuit in California that is still moving forward. TikTok has answered that case. They assert a lot of affirmative defenses in their answer. None of them are Section 230. And they're currently going to hearing um, this week about whether or not that case will be bifurcated. I'm going to keep an eye on that case as it might inform this case with Bethany Frankel that is happening in New York. So we're going to take a look at the reporting and then we're just going to go into the lawsuit. Uh, This is coming from Vanity Fair. Bethany Frankel sues TikTok over ad featuring her image. The reality star accuses the social media company of allowing a brand on the platform to use her image and likeness to promote counterfeit products. Normally under 230, the platform, TikTok, Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, whatever, Reddit, the platform can't be sued for the shit that people publish on the platform. But... Copyright is a little bit different because under the Digital Copyright, Digital Millennium Copyright Act, I always say DCMA, DMCA, under the DMCA, there is some responsibility for the platforms to make sure that copyrighted works are not just being 
distributed on their platform. And I think that's why they're choosing to go after this as a copyright issue saying, hey, you can't allow copyright to be violated on your platform. Anyone who creates across these platforms knows about copyright in you know, on YouTube, if you try to put up anything that was on broadcast TV, you're going to get a copyright issue with YouTube. You can't use music in certain ways. The platforms have to make arrangements with the music distributing companies to allow music on their platforms for things like TikTok and Instagram reels and YouTube shorts. But it's why if you do an Instagram reel with music on it and you try to download it, it strips out that part of the audio because the agreements they have with the music companies are platform by platform. All of this gets very confusing, but I think trying to go after this as a copyright issue and not just as an image and likeness issue is a big deal. But the way that this is being reported says image and likeness, which doesn't just imply copyright. If you follow me over on YouTube, we just talked about advertising image and likeness with 50 Cent. That was a very fun stream to do. If you have not listened to it, I encourage you to go find the 50 Cent stream because, woo! It got spicy with image and likeness, but image and likeness for advertising isn't always copyright. Let's continue. Let's continue on. Emily, you got through the headline. We're not really continuing on. We have to move forward. Um, Vanity Fair keeps report, continues their report saying Bethany Frankel is taking TikTok to task over a brand using one of her videos without her permission to sell its sweaters. The former Real Housewife fixture alleges that many of her nearly 1 million TikTok followers notified her that there was an ad on the app that appeared to feature her promoting a counterfeit designer cardigan per legal documents obtained by Page Six and obtained by Emily D. Baker. We're going to be going over those in a minute. I love how they say it's obtained by Page Six. Yes, and everyone else. According to the Washington Post, Frankel says she became aware of the issue in September. Well, it's in the legal documents too, claiming that a creator of the ad took an old video of her wearing and extolling the virtues of a Jenny Kane cardigan and edited it to make it look as though she was promoting the knockoff product, which she had not consented to. In the filing, the reality star says that after being alerted to the fraudulent video, she posted a TikTok of her own to warn fans of the, quote, unauthorized and illegal use of her persona to sell counterfeit goods, end quote, though she claims TikTok deleted that post for being abusive. This is a problem that TikTok has on their platform all the time. Somebody will come after a creator, a creator will respond, and then their response will be taken down. It feels very much like high school water polo to me, where somebody might do something that's a foul, but it's the person that retaliates that catches the attention of the referee and gets yeeted. So this is very much how TikTok operates, where somebody might call out harassment that they're receiving on the platform and their video will be taken down for harassment. I have seen creator after creator complain about this. I personally, Emily, did you just sidebar yourself? I did. Sidebar. I think that of the platforms I create on, YouTube gives creators the most control to moderate um, kind of the, the comments, moderate their live stream comments, moderate the things that are said to them. It gives them the most protection in that way. TikTok, unfortunately, doesn't give creators nearly as much control to moderate the way that they are engaged with and to protect themselves from harassment. But then takes their videos down when they respond to it. It's just wild. So that surprises me none that Bethany's um, 
audience is like, hey, this is happening. And we've seen this happen to other creators like Simply Nail Logical from Hollow Taco, where people have used her videos of her painting her nails to promote other nail polishes and products. And she's like, "That's you're just stealing my video and putting it in an ad. This is a problem across platforms. Bethany's bringing this problem to TikTok's door. So back to the article. Um, I'm not surprised that Bethany's audience, by the way, pointed out, hey, you're being used in this ad. And she was like, that's not me. This shit happens to me too. And I consider myself to have a fairly minimal internet presence. And people will use things to try to promote things to my audience and try to impersonate me. I can't imagine how much that happens to someone with such a large public profile like Bethany Frankel. It's wild. So Bethany says she claims the TikTok deleted the post for being quote unquote abusive. She has since posted a few additional videos addressing the situation and her lawsuit. According to the suit, Frankel is seeking monetary damages, claiming that her reputation has, quote, suffered significant injury and irreparable harm due to the fake ad. And we'll get into that in the lawsuit. In a TikTok video posted on September 18th, Frankel said of the situation, quote, this is something that has to be addressed because it's a breeding ground for scams. Facts. What if this really, really damaged my image? Well, you're saying in the lawsuit that it did. And then it goes on to say, because a lot of people are feeling like, oh, she sold out. In another video, she added, quote, these people are garbage scumbag scoundrel scammers stealing. <sighs> Did all the S words. <laughs> this feel It feels like a tongue twister. These people are garbage scumbag scoundrel scammers stealing. That needs to be a shirt. And their products are garbage and don't buy them. On Thursday, Frankel wrote on Instagram, I have a voice. It's my right and responsibility to use it to encourage others to constructively do so as well. Consumers and creators are being exploited with no recourse or power to defend and protect themselves. That ends now. She's not wrong. Get it, Bethany Frankel. She's not wrong. When I have people impersonate me, particularly on like Instagram, my audience will let me know someone's impersonating me on Instagram and I'll be like, it's okay, just flag it and report it. But because I'm not verified on Instagram, they can't report it. So it creates these issues, especially for smaller creators, um, where there's you can't even, you can't do anything. You have no contact at Instagram. There's no way to report it. And your audience can't even report it because they're like, too bad, so sad. You're not verified. Okay, thanks. That's helpful. It doesn't stop me from getting emails of people being like, hey, did I really win a thing? And do I really need to send this information to my address and my money? No, you don't. Don't do that. I won't ever ask you for that stuff in your DMs. But Bethany's right. Okay, I've done side, I'm done sidebarring about this. And we should, you know, this is why I don't need to scam y'all because we have sponsors. So it's time for another word from our sponsor. Good health starts with good habits. Quip makes it easy and gamifies it. Not only do you make sure that you are brushing your teeth for the proper amount of time, but it also makes it fun and easy, and you can get your oral care essentials delivered right to your door, so you make sure that you are taking care of your beautiful mouth. And your Quip brush can be equipped with the new smart motor that will help you track and improve your brushing with the free Quip app, and you can earn those amazing rewards like free refills, products, Target gift cards, and much more. One of my favorite things about Quip is it's not just the toothbrush. They also have a great anti-cavity toothpaste that comes in mint and watermelon, which my kids really enjoy. 
And they have a reusable floss pick that replaces over 180 disposable picks with every refill. And the case has a little mirror in it to make it really easy to make sure you don't have any food friends when you are out and about. I take it everywhere. If you're ready to try it for yourself, you can get your first refill free if you go to getquip.com slash emilyshow right now. That's your first refill free at getquip.com slash emilyshow. G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com slash Emily Show. Quip, the good habits company. Now back to our show. Let's go ahead and take a look at this lawsuit from Bethany Frankel. She is uh, positioning this to be a class action. This is in the Southern District of New York. It's a class action civil complaint against TikTok Inc., I wonder if we will see them try to add in other of the TikTok companies. Maybe they will, maybe they won't. We might see that down the road. But this is Bethany Frankel's the head of the cl- head of the class action. And I think it's best if we go to the causes of action first and then back up to the things that they're talking about with TikTok that I found to be very interesting. They talk a lot about how TikTok monetizes, which I always find fascinating. And then they get into why these claims are copyright, mostly. And that's it's going to be interesting to see how this plays with the protection that Section 230 provides to a platform like TikTok to not be sued for stuff that's posted on its platform. Count one, right of publicity. On behalf of Ms. Frankel and the nationwide class, um, TikTok has engaged in the unlawful and unauthorized use of Ms. Frankel's image and likeness, as well as those of other class members. So they're blaming TikTok, not the poster. And that's why how TikTok monetizes becomes so important. Count two, right of publicity under the New York Civil Rights Law, Section 51, on behalf of Frankel and the class. Ms. Frankel and the class members have a proprietary right in their respective personas, voices, content, and likeness. Count three, common law unfair competition. TikTok's unauthorized use of Ms. Frankel's image and likeness has allowed TikTok to falsely suggest that certain products are sponsored by or otherwise affiliated with Ms. Frankel when in fact they are not. The same holds clue for the class or the same holds true for the class members. Again, this might be difficult because TikTok's not the one that's making the video. It's the underlying company who was selling the sweater. Count four, permanent injunctive relief. TikTok is and continues to engage in the unlawful conduct set forth in this complaint. Unless restrained and enjoined, TikTok will continue to engage in such unlawful conduct. So they're asking for a permanent injunction. Stop this shit. Do something different. Demand for jury trial and then prayer for relief. Certifying the class. They're going to have to bring in more class members. Appointing Frankel as the class representative. A judging that TikTok violated Frankel and the class members' rights of publicity. A judging that TikTok engaged in unfair competition. Preliminarily and permanently enjoining TikToks, its affiliates, employees, agents, representatives, and all persons acting in concert with or participating with TikTok from using, disclosing, disseminating, posting, displaying, sharing, distributing, copying, advertising, or selling in any manner whatsoever. One, all services of TikTok. Two, all copies of any material. Um paper, electronic, or any other form that contain or reflect any information derived from Ms. Frankel's and the class members' personas, voices, content, or likeness, which is very interesting because TikTok does allow you to share sound bites and sound clips and to, to uh, stitch things together. Would this change that functionality with regard to these accounts or all accounts? Because that allows her likeness to be shared on the platform. 
preliminary and permanently ordering TikTok, their affiliates, employees, all the people, uh, immediate and permanently dispose of all copies of any unauthorized usage, all copies of any materials that contain or reflect any information derived from Ms. Frankel's personas, voices, content, or likeness, preliminarily ordering TikTok, its affiliates, et cetera, um, or any persons acting in concert with TikTok to turn over to the court any proceeds that TikTok has received as a result of its misappropriation of the likenesses, awarding Ms. Frankel and the class damages in an amount to be determined in trial, awarding the class restitution for TikTok's facilitation of past unauthorized use, prejudgment, and post-judgment interest. So let's take a look at what's being alleged. We love a good factual allegation. So in their factual allegations, they are saying that TikTok is a major social media platform and was the most downloaded app globally in 2020 with the highest social media engagement rate per post. Used in more than 150 countries, the app has over 1.1 billion users worldwide and is the fastest growing app globally, surpassing all of the influential names like YouTube, Instagram, Facebook. Indeed, the platform has established a new realm of online sharing that has revolutionized the way people engage with each other and consume digital material with its remarkable authenticity and expanding cultural influence. This video-based social media app has pushed certain consumers to use and rely on the platform. It's a popular video-focused social networking platform that allows users to record, watch, and share short-form video um, in various genres from their smartphones. TikTok is a user-friendly and creative application that generates compelling content, lip-syncing, dancing, and pranking, it says, by tapping into the imagination of its users through a variety of challenges. Challenges! The app allows users to add audio and visual effects such as music and filters and is known worldwide for its addictive appeal and high levels of engagement, all thanks to its unique artificial intelligence system. Yeah, the algorithm of TikTok is unlike any other social media algorithm. The algorithm of TikTok is so different than the way that algorithms work elsewhere, and it really does serve content after content after content. You can find yourself down a YouTube rabbit hole, or not a YouTube, a TikTok rabbit hole very quickly. It goes on to talk about the origins of TikTok founded in 2016 by the Chinese company ByteDance, and then says that it's a massive success because its parent company ByteDance recognized and embraced that people, particularly Gen Z, are constantly keen to try new things. The platform created a culture of trending videos wherein famous artists frequently design original themed dances challenge that it's famous artists designing the original theme dances. It's generally people who have those dances stolen from them, but that's a whole another conversation for another day. <sighs> Frequently design original theme dances, which other TikTok users subsequently attempt, uh, to the point that these dances become very popular and often become dance trends in everyday life. Do you TikTok dance around your house? I don't. But I've seen them in Fortnite. The app also completely changed how music hits are made. That's facts and promoted as many currently popular music artists were discovered through their TikTok videos. Yes, gone are the days where Justin Bieber was discovered on YouTube. It is now TikTok. So it goes on to talk about TikTok's dominance in the space, how dominant they are over things like Facebook, the fact that Gen Z accounts for 60% of TikTok users. They talk about the value that TikTok provides for the users. It's a lot of fun. For advertisers, it gets their stuff in front of eyeballs. And then it gets into how TikTok operates, talking about the home feed and discovery and creating videos and inboxes and profiles and explore videos and the For You page and all that stuff. 
It talks about how to create videos, what challenges are, what duets are, how to follow other users. It doesn't say anything about stitching, interestingly enough. Then it talks about how YouTube uh, operates and says TikTok has paid partnerships with a number of celebrities and popular influencers from various social media platforms. These celebrities and influencers generate viral content and talk about the platform to their respective audiences in an effort to drive new users to TikTok. It talks about Jimmy Fallon's interest in the app grew organically, but it evolved into a paid partnership, which caused a record spike in enrollments. Jimmy Fallon began a challenges portion of his show in November 2018. He challenged his followers to take on the hashtag tumbleweed challenge. I literally remember none of this. The hashtag tumbleweed challenge and share videos of themselves rolling around like tumbleweed on TikTok. Within a week, the challenge had attracted over 8,000 entries and 10.4 million engagements. It then talks about the other stuff going on on TikTok. Campaign management partners that assist advertisers in capitalizing fully on the platform's ads offerings with the help of cutting-edge technologies. Measurement partners that guide brands in analyzing the measurement and total impact of TikTok's business solutions by providing premium services. Creative partners that have the audiovisual and technical skills to assist businesses in generating ads on a large scale. And they say, for instance, Canva, Cooler, and AirTarget are some of these prominent creative partners. Effects partners, they know everything about TikTok's AR offering tools and specializing in producing and developing augmented reality effects. Commerce partners that specialize in marketing techniques to facilitate merchants to establish and manage their, manage their business. And sound partners that are experts in enabling brands to learn about or le lean in and make an impact with sound. Some of the sound partners include the Elements Music and KARM. So they're talking about all these different partners that have business relationships with TikTok behind the scenes. They then talk about the unique algorithm um, and what they believe the unique algorithm does. And then TikTok's revenue model that as as per reports, TikTok generated an estimated $1.9 billion in revenue in 2020, a 457% increase from $350 million in 2019. This was possible because of its primary sources, TikTok ads. In June 2020, TikTok launched, quote, TikTok for Business, a new advertising option that allowed brands to promote their products on the platform through in-feed videos, brand takeovers, hashtag challenges, and branded effects. Literally every time I open TikTok, there is a full-page ad. And I mean, yes, you can swipe up out of it, but it is the first thing you see um, is that full page ad for something. In-feed ad videos. Uh, these short form videos get displayed between the user's feeds as they browse through the For You page. The unique proposition is that these ads appear between videos and might take up the entire screen, similar to Instagram stories. They do take up the entire screen. And sometimes you're like, wait, this is an ad and you have to just keep scrolling because if you're just going through your feed, you don't always notice that it's an ad at first. Brand takeover ads. These are ads that get displayed right after you open your TikTok account. That's what we were just talking about. And have the potential to bring in a lot of money for TikTok. The display of such ads can cost anything from $50,000 to $100,000. What? We're going to start seeing TikTok ads, those takeover ads, being the same price as like Super Bowl ads at some point, I would imagine. They get more eyeballs and probably more engagement than a Super Bowl ad does at this point anyway. And the Super Bowl, have you noticed that ads on TV have started looking like TikTok ads? Yeah. And having like QR codes and shit, it's weird. All right. Top view ads, unlike brand takeover ads, which get displayed when a user first opens the app, top view ads appear after the user has already started using it and can last up to 60 seconds. Branded hashtag challenges, 
branded effects, goes through in-app purchases, commissions from content creators, and then gets into how they use content to drive traffic. Then we get into the heart of what's going on in this case after, I mean, we are now on page 19 of 32, and we're just getting into what Bethany's alleging happened with her. We got a lot of background on how TikTok works. They say the voice and image of Ms. Frankel and class members are property rights and subject protection. Copyright protection as defined by 17 U.S.C. 102A is available for, quote, original works of authorships fixed in any tangible medium of expression now known or later developed from which they can be perceived, reproduced, or otherwise communicated either directly or with the aid of a machine or device, end quote. The statutory requirement has been distilled into two required elements, one, originality, and two, fixation. It has to be somewhere. It has to exist somewhere, not just in your brain. The Supreme Court has set a low bar for originality, and they go through that bar for originality, and they say the copyrighted voice files easily satisfy the standard for originality. The various designs, videos, were created by Ms. Frankel, who has subsequently copyrighted this material. The stylization and artistic nature of the voice files is certainly sufficient to satisfy the minimal degree of creativity. So her talking, she's like, this is a video of me talking. I've copyrighted it. You can't use it. I wonder, I'm going to have to look at the terms of use of the platform and what the terms of use of the platform say about you allowing the platform to use your copyrighted material. Because I imagine the terms of use allow for that sharing. And that's how they have the stitching feature and the resharing feature and stuff like that. It goes on to say the copyrighted voice files also satisfy the fixation requirement. These definitions, the definition section of the Copyright Act provides that a work is quote unquote fixed in a tangible medium of expression when its embodiment in a copy or phono record <laughs> by or under the authority of the author is sufficiently permanent or stable to permit it to be perceived. Video, audio, recording, writing. It goes on to say to be copyrightable, a subject must first qualify as a work under the Copyright Act, and it lists eight works of authorship categories. Of those eight categories, tattoos are protected as copyrightable under the seventh, which, co which covers sound recordings. How are tattoo and sound recordings under the same subsection? I have questions. The definitions of the Copyright Act provides that sound recordings are works that result from the fixation of a series of musical, spoken, or other sounds, but not including the sounds accompanying a motion picture or other audiovisual work, regardless of the nature of the material objects. Is, is TikTok going to try to argue that these are mini motion pictures? Um, Sorry, regardless of the nature of the material objects, such as disc tapes or other phono records in which they are embodied. Further, New York law says any person whose name, portrait, picture, or voice is used within this state for advertising purposes or for the purpose of trade without the written consent first obtained may sue to recover damages for injuries sustained. So, hey, TikTok, you operate in New York and you are allowing people to use the name or portrait or picture or voice for advertising purposes. They talk about irreparable harm to Ms. Frankel and class members as a direct consequence of TikTok's unauthorized conduct. Again, this is going to be hard because the platform didn't create the conduct. The platform allowed the conduct, but the platform has some protections about what they allow on the platform because they didn't create this. They go on to talk about Frankel's interest in protecting her rights, which obviously she has, and that 
TikTok has misappropriated her voice and likeness, I think TikTok's going to argue that they didn't do anything. It was the user on their platform, and they're protected from being sued for what users do. It says, although now removed from TikTok's platform, numerous videos and content were created and shared on TikTok using Frankel's name, portrait, picture, and voice, and content to peddle unauthorized and faked goods. As a result, Ms. Frankel began receiving comments from her followers thinking that Frankel had quote-unquote sold out and was quote-unquote hawking these fake products. In a recent video, Frankel posted about this experience and as of the filing, had nearly 3,000 comments, footnote five, which is a link to that TikTok. Those comments are replete with users informing that they viewed these videos and contents using Frankel's name, portrait, and picture. Well, because the algorithm is going to serve it to them if they watch Bethany Frankel's other content. The algorithm is going to say, oh, you like Bethany, here's more Bethany. That's how algorithms work. It goes on to say comments from users include, quote, saw it and thought, WTH, and they filled in that that means what the hell. Good to know, get them, Bethany, or get them, B. Um, quote, I just saw that fraudulent ad with you twice in the past five minutes. Quote, it must be infuriating. I saw the ad and immediately jumped here, get them. Uh, quote, oh my God, I totally thought they paid you for that ad. Quote, I almost bought that cardigan. Quote, wow, I'm so glad you addressed that because I saw you on my FYP for you page and had to look twice as I saw the shop tag. This has got to stop. Uh, footnote six links to that TikTok. It says, because these videos are not policed by TikTok and its desire for revenue motivates it to allow the unlawful conduct to occur and continue, uh, and content creators such as Ms. Frankel and other class members are required to constantly monitor for and police any unauthorized use of their name, portrait, picture, and voice to ensure that counterfeits and other unauthorized parties do not peddle counterfeited or other unauthorized products using their persona's voice, content, or likeness. This requires substantial time and investment from the content creators, effort which is not always successful and is not compensated by TikTok in any form whatsoever that scammers are marketing counterfeit goods under the pretense of being legitimate retailers and advertisers on TikTok is no secret. According to the FTC, social media scams accounted for $770 million in 2021, nearly a quarter of all reported fraud losses in the U.S., and almost triple the $258 million lost in 2020. This is not a small problem, and they link to footnotes um, with the FTC's data on that and other data on that. They say if TikTok is not enjoined from misappropriating and continuing to disseminate the persona's voices, content, and likeness of Ms. Frankel in the class, Ms. Frankel in the class will continue to suffer irreparable harm. And then it gets into the class action um, allegations and then the causes of action that we've already talked about. This is a problem. But part of the problem is that the platform may be protected under Section 230. What is Section 230? Well, Section 230 is part of the 1996 Communications Decency Act. It was enacted at a time when the internet was much different than it was today, and some of you probably weren't alive yet, which makes me feel very, very old. But the internet in 1996 and the internet in 2022 are substantially different things. This act was meant to protect internet carriers like you protect a telephone company. So if somebody calls in a threat or if somebody calls someone else and threatens them, you can't go sue the telephone company that transmitted that call. Telephone companies allow calls to be made 
through their wires by one person picking up the thing and somebody else answering it. They don't moderate it. They don't stop it. They don't in any way interfere with it. It's just a pure transmission. And that was the thought of the early days of the internet were these are pure transmissions. Um, people are posting things on listservs or message boards. And the host of the message board shouldn't be sued because of some shit somebody posts on the internet. And taking that into more modern context, it's like Reddit shouldn't be sued because somebody goes on Reddit and says awful shit. You have to go sue the person who said the awful shit if you can find out who they are and if they live in a country where you can effectively sue them for that. Good luck. It's the internet. But this protects people saying all kinds of stuff all over the internet because the platform itself cannot be sued. So the platforms have a ability to not moderate content, but it's different because you might be sitting there going, but Emily, interesting. The New York Times can be sued for stuff its reporters say, or the Washington Post can be sued for stuff they publish. They are publishers. And this is where there's a distinction between publishers and internet carriers because our internet carriers publishers, and this is one of the big arguments going on with Section 230, because do they actually moderate content like publishers and decide what's allowed on their platform and what's not allowed on their platform? And does that make them publishers of content where they can actually be sued for what's said, like the New York Times or the Washington Post or another publication can be? Or are they protected because it's independent users that are posting that information? This has come up Time and time again, there was a task force of the Department of Justice that went over this in 2020. This came up quite a lot uh, in 2020. This has come up in Biden's presidency and is now being taken up to the Supreme Court, which could substantially change the way the internet works. But one of the quirks to Section 230 is that it allows for the moderation of some content without losing protection. So if you become a publisher, you lose 230 protection, which means you can be sued. But generally, you think of a publisher as editorial control. Isn't yeeting someone off of Twitter editorial control? But here's the caveat. Online forms are allowed to keep their lawsuit immunity if they, quote, restrict access to or availability of material that the provider or user considers to be obscene, lewd, lascivious, filthy, excessively violent, harassing, or otherwise objectionable. That's the carve-out. They can moderate what they find to be obscene, lewd, lascivious, filthy, excessively violent. And I think all of us are like, okay, we're with you. Harassing, well, how do we define that? or otherwise objectionable. Well, what the fuck does that even mean? So if Facebook says we took all this down because we found it to be otherwise objectionable, they can't be sued for it. If they yeet you off of YouTube because of a video that you put up, and that is your full-time job as a content creator, but it's otherwise objectionable, you can't go sue YouTube for yeeting you off of their platform because they are allowed to content moderate things that are otherwise objectionable. And that becomes the biggest loophole kind of in Section 230. So with that, Section 230 is coming up before the Supreme Court. They just accepted two cases to review Section 230. 
those two cases deal with YouTube, Google was being sued, and Twitter. They are slightly different in the underlying basis of the case. But if you want to know more about those, I will do a whole episode on these cases that are going before the Supreme Court. Today was meant to be an overview, and yet we are still well deep into this episode. But it's interesting looking at these protections, and the government keeps trying to find ways to dial back Section 230. But we've also seen courts decide, and this is why the Supreme Court's going to be taking this up because there's a split. We've seen courts decide that things like YouTube's algorithm are not editorial. They don't make it a publisher, but YouTube's algorithms deciding what you see. So aren't they moderating the content by deciding what content you see or what content you don't see? So does that make them a publisher by the way the algorithm works? And if that changes, then we're going to see a massive change in the way that algorithms work. Right now, you're seeing platforms saying, I'm no different than like the U.S. Postal Service. You put the shit in the mail, we deliver it. I mean, not literal shit in the mail. If you put literal shit in the mail, you'll actually get in trouble. <laughs> Don't ask me how I know that. But you can put whatever, you know, letter, blah, blah, blah in the mail, and it just gets delivered. They don't open it, read it, and decide whether it should be delivered or whether it's a nice enough card for your mother or whether it's late. They're not judging you over that. But neither should be the platforms then. They should operate like a phone carrier or operate like the mail where it's, you know, I'm on one end publishing the thing, you're on the other end receiving the thing, and that's it. But that's not how it works because they're allowed to moderate what they determine to be otherwise objectionable. Lawyers, how vague is otherwise objectionable? And that allows the platforms to determine what's allowed on their platforms and still retain the ability to not be sued. The underlying cases that are going to the Supreme Court are cases that weren't even allowed to move forward on the merits because they were blocked by Section 230 saying, sorry, you can't sue this platform based on things that people posted on the platform. And this is where the split comes in as to whether what content gets promoted or not promoted on, on Facebook. And we saw this with the Joe Rogan podcast with Zuckerberg talking about killing the story about Hunter Biden's laptop. Is that an editorial decision? Killing a story so people don't see it? Or is that an, is that an algorithmic choice that something is otherwise objectionable? And these are the topics that the Supreme Court is going to have to deal with. Is the algorithm affirmatively doing something or is it just passive? Is it a publisher? Is it not? And that's where I think some of Bethany Frankel's claims might bump up against Section 230 because they're saying the platform is doing this and the platform is going to say, no, a user's doing this. TikTok didn't make a video. A user on TikTok made a video. And what you can't do is sue TikTok over a video that a user made. We are protected from that. We are not a publisher. This is something I'm going to be keeping a very close eye on, not just because it personally affects me and how I engage and make money on platforms, but because these questions of where can the government regulate speech? Because if the government regulates what the platforms can and can't do, it could be regulating speech. Where can the government regulate speech or can't they? Where can platforms regulate speech? Are algorithms the platforms acting 
affirmatively making them more like a publisher like the New York Times? Do these platforms then have to have an editorial board? Are we going to have to go to non-algorithmic maintenance and purely having people make these decisions? And will that make it absolutely untenable for these platforms to exist the way they are today? We are literally in kind of the brave new world of how to deal with the internet because the laws we are dealing with are from the you know, mid-90s, when the internet did not exist in this way. There has to be a change. But what does that change look like in, in a government that's foundationally underlied by your First Amendment right to speech that should not and cannot be infringed upon by the government? So how does this all work? Because normally the way things sort out in the court is, well, if a private company does something to you that you don't like, you sue them. And that's how it all gets sorted out. But what happens when you can't sue them? Then what? Do we all just live with it? I want to know your thoughts on this. Thank you for being here. Thank you for being a law nerd. Do we need to cover this more? I feel like we need to cover this more. And we will. So grab grab whatever you're drinking and say it with me. May your Wi-Fi be strong and not impeded by Section 230. <laughs> May your toilet paper be plentiful. May your families be well. May your fall be delightful and cozy and pumpkin spicy. And may the odds be ever in your favor. Thank you for being here. Thank you for being a law nerd. And I will see you in the next one.